Welcome, listeners. Episode five of From the Ashes, and I've got a treat for you today. I've got a great friend, a fantastic wrestler, who I'm, I've been looking to get onto this very since the start. He's someone that amazingly has had more airtime on this podcast, despite not having been on it, than anybody else, because everyone just keeps putting him over as to how wonderful he is. Uh, he's been on, F- on, on the UBW shows now for a few years. Some know him as pure evil. Some know him as the new version of Satan. Some might even call him better than Virgil, but that's a bold claim to make. Ladies and gentlemen, I am very, very, very proud to have as my guest today, the pure evil one himself, CJ Carter. Hello, hello, and hello to everyone listening. I'm glad you got in that better than Virgil line, Paul, because... That's great. It's going all over my merch from now on. We were talking earlier, just for people listening, talking earlier, and, and and Paul listed a bunch of wrestlers that that you know I'm clearly as good as. Virgil was one of them, and obviously Virgil being one of the the greatest of all time. I don't, I don't know if I can possibly live up to the great Virgil, but but I'm going to try. <laughs> it is it is a hefty hefty title to have to kind of carry around with you, and it's a lot of proving to be done to to actually earn that. So I don't know. It's a, it's a big thing to have. Hall of Fame's coming. Hall of Fame is coming for Virgil. So, so look, what we're going to do? We're going to we're going to do similar to what we do before. We're going to we're going to talk about your journey in wrestling to date, how you got where you are, how you started off, and stuff. But first of all, I want to talk about how we know one another because this is a story in that in itself. So, so you started out with us at UBW twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, sort of like autumn twenty seventeen. Yeah, so it's kind of almost four years ago now. That's, that's terrifying. I've got no comprehension of time anymore. But you came down to the old UBW school, and you kind of popped in, said hello to everyone, and said, "Oh, I used to train with you." Because I've got no memory. I don't remember anything. And uh, I thought, "Oh, hold on a second. I remember training with the Chris a few years ago up in Ipswich. Fantastic. Hey, welcome to the school. Really glad to have you here." Uh, what you've been doing the past few years and you explained to me that you'd been working your way around the wrestling circuit and getting a name for yourself doing really well for yourself fantastic so obviously i wanted to make sure that you could actually back up all your stories when you do a bit of a training match which you did with johnny knox blew everybody else away and everyone was like yeah you know we gotta get we gotta get him on we gotta get him on the show so bang straight onto it yeah Got you on show straight away. I think two shows in, you were on a main event working with Tommy Kyle, challenging yeah. for the title. So straight away, like fantastic. Love this guy. He's awesome. Such a nice guy as well. And that, that was great. That went on. And I was telling people, no, oh, I don't where do you know CJ from? Well, we, you know, we used to train together. I used to teach him back in, in Ipswich, blah, blah, blah. So about a year and a half after this point, I'm yeah. going through some old pictures as I often do. And I found some pictures of the school and I, oh. And I sent one to you and I said, dude, which one are you in this in this picture? Because I can't, I know you didn't have the beard back then, but I can't work out which one is you. This is obviously back when we were training at the XWA school in Ipswich. Which one are you? And you dropped the wonderful bombshell of? Yeah, Paul, um, I never trained at XWA, uh, ever. <laughs> shock, shock to me as well. I, I literally just sat there and went, oh, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> just sitting there thinking, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> who is this guy that's taken Chris's skin? But no, I, I did legit train with a guy called Chris at XWA. It was about your age, but completely different person. So I'd spent a year and a half being really proud of this guy. I trained at the XWA school, and it wasn't even you. 
wasn't me. No, so there is some guy walking around called Chris from XWA taking all my credit. So, you know, he can... He I'm can, not putting uh, him in the main event. He can thank all his bookings to me, so that, that's fine. <laughs> if I ever find him, I'll take a cut. But, um, but yeah, no, we, we knew each other. So, obviously, I first saw you at the FWA school way back when, and then you trained me at um, the LDN school for a while, and... I guess just like your, your training just always stuck with me because I, I've had, we'll probably get into it eventually, but I've had quite a lot of trainers over the years here, there and everywhere, trained at various places. But obviously I, I just, your training always stuck with me. I just always remembered it. So so when I saw you again, I was like, oh, it's Paul. And just so much of what you said stuck with me and and you didn't remember me. So that's great. So thanks, man. Well, so, clearly you made the impression and stuck with me as well so much that I thought you were two completely separate people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was that uh, Yeah, there's there's far too many headshots over the years, clearly. Yeah. Too many headshots, man. I've seen them as well. Jesus Christ. Like, get your hand up. My God. No, you, you, you get your hand up, then, you know, you could risk losing a finger. And, you know, I've, I, I can't – I won't be able to play the piano anymore. I can't play the piano now, but it's not the point. <laughs> so, look, let's go through who CJ Carter is. Let's look yeah. back and – Let's talk about everything from the start until now, how you started off. I like to kind of get an understanding of what drew people into wrestling. What, what was the first memory of wrestling that you had and what made you think, oh, God, this is amazing. And then what made you think of the even stupider idea of, I'm going to give this a go. What were your inspirations? Take us through like, the genesis of not only CJ Carter, but before that, the individual Chris, what drew you to wrestling? Give us the story. Yeah, cool, man. Um, so I guess I've just I've always been the biggest wrestling fan. Um, sort of like all, all my life, I've been a massive wrestling fan. As a, as a really small child, like my earliest memories, of like three or four, kind of sitting on the sofa watching WWF back in the day. You know, Hulk Hogan, I'm a Warrior, Macho Man. Um, just like the first kind of events I remember watching, I remember watching WrestleMania eight and SummerSlam 92 and, you know, 92 is kind of the first big year in my mind that I remember. And, um, I, j I just always knew just, just watching it. I always knew that, you know, I want to do this and uh, I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm ever going to get into it. I don't know how you train. Um, but somehow, some way I'm going to, I'm going to get into it. And, um, you know, it wasn't quite as accessible uh, back then in, in, in the 90s and even the early 2000s, as I'm, I'm sure you probably remember, definitely, because you obviously trained in the, in the 90s as well, right? So, like, late 90s, you would have come in training, and it was really hard to find training schools. Um, and I just remember the older I got, the, the more I started looking around and started to kind of understand, okay, right, so um, you need to get yourself to a, to a wrestling school. But where do these exist? I thought maybe America was the only place they exist. So I was I was about 12 years old and I was like, all right, I'm going to pack up. I'm going to move to America. I'm going to fly out there. And I'm going to find a wrestling school and that's it. That's what I'm going to do. Um, luckily, I didn't have to do that because I was reading the Power Slam magazine one day um, and I was flicking through the pages and it turns out there was an FWA training school in London. And I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was, um, I felt like all my Christmases had come at once. Like I was literally like a, a five-year-old that had just seen Santa wrap <laughs> the presents into the front room. You know, I was, I was just, I could not believe there was a training school in London I could get to. And, um, so I went straight down there it was in, uh, Finsbury Park at the Sobel Leisure Centre. I'm sure you probably remember. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No ring, judo mats. Um, I didn't care that there was no ring. You know, everyone, you must know this, everyone now kind of expects a ring, right, at, at training schools. Okay. And you know, to a degree, maybe rightly so. Um, things have, have changed over the years. But, it, you know, it wasn't always like that. And 
Um, you can learn an awful lot training training just on mats out of a ring, and a lot of places were like that then. And and I was just so grateful to to be at a place where there were genuine wrestlers who were teaching wrestling, and and that's kind of how it all started for me right from the very beginning. Um, and that would have been that would have been two thousand and two, I think. So wow. So yeah, we're talking yeah. nearly twenty years ago. <laughs> I mean, I was very young. Um, I was only I was only sort of like 15 years old, but, um, but yeah, you that completely was ruined. You've, you've ruined the gimmick. Now. You've ruined your age reveal. You could have got away with saying, yeah, I'm, I'm like 26, 27, man. But I can't even better think about it. I literally, I, I'm just look cats out of the bag. Like I turned 34 the other week. So, um, I've been doing this a lot longer than most people think. Um, probably because I've never actually made any success out of it. <laughs> but, um, but you know what you say that, right. And, and and that's interesting, and we'll go back to where we're going to naturally go next afterwards. But success is much like wrestling; it's subjective because I know people that have come through and they've been the biggest hype in the world. Everyone's oh my god, this guy's the next big thing. This guy's great, and oh, I've got to get him on every show. And bam, 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 they're working every main event show, every place, everywhere possible. Year and a half, they're done, absolutely done. They're burnt out. They're finished. And they've had them five minutes in the sun. Yeah, I've seen so many. Honestly, I was saying this to to somebody the other day. I've seen more people come and go in wrestling in my time that I've been in it than I can even begin to start writing down on a piece of paper and remembering. Literally, just I would say ninety percent of the people that I've been around have yeah. been and gone in that time. So it's these like the talks in the hair. Sometimes it's the the, the slow one wins the race. If, if is sometimes better and you get more out of it for longer if you don't have this amazing big success because I don't know sometimes it's better to be remembered as a very good for a long while rather than you know a, a sudden flash yeah no I totally get it. and I, I totally get that and I've enjoyed every minute of it and um I think to be honest I think having been around so long and people who are around you know I know other people that been around it as long as me and haven't necessarily made it right to the top which you know i think some people kind of expect everyone to get there eventually but not everyone's gonna it's just, just that's just the nature it's the way it is you know um yeah. but you, i think you do learn more i think you do genuinely you learn more about the business you learn more about how to work you end up i think probably enjoying your matches more in the end it takes a long time to get there but um i just i just think yeah that the years that you put in like the mileage that you put in you just you learn so much from it from everything yeah. from the people or from all the different people you meet from all the different people you work with from all the different people you drive in cars with do you know what i mean good and bad don't get me wrong good and bad you learn the you learn the bad side of wrestling and the good side but you just learn so much for having been in it so long yeah i mean also what i've also seen is a lot of people that are sudden sudden all of a sudden hot shit and they're top of the tree straight away they 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 are at the top and they're getting all this exposure when they're not ready and then they can't then fix what they do wrong because they would be showing that they're not ready they'd be showing the chinks in their armor so they they all they're doing is they're kind of living a bit of a lie and the first time they do something wrong the first time they have a bad match the first time something goes bad for them it all comes crashing down because they've been trying to hold on to this veil of perfection because oh i'm a big star i'm a main event star i'm like you know i'm the next big thing and when they can't maintain that which you can't it, it all the, the curtain just flies down. I, I've seen that with countless people. They've been main event one day and can't get even on a, get on the show the next one. So, 
Yeah, I've it, seen yeah. it as well, man. Like you, I've seen people, so many people come and go, and there's people who you think, wow, they've made it and that's it, they're going to stay there, and they just don't for whatever reason. Um, yeah. You look at a lot of the, the, the big names at the moment as well. It's taken them well over a decade of just work and grinding experience to get that. I mean, people forget, like, people see Pac, and God, he's, he's such an incredible talent, and he's really good. But Ben, ben as he's known, you know, he's been around. I mean, I remember first meeting him in, I think it was 2005. I, I remember first seeing him up, up in Newcastle. I went up there for a show. It was, like I say, it was about, maybe it's about 2007-ish or so. And I saw him and I remember saying to people, God, this guy's going to be something special. And I, I came back and I said to, the, yeah. to IPW at the time, you've got to get this kid on. And it took him a while. But like I say, he's been going for, for that long, um, you know, what, 15 years or something. Um, you look at a lot of the guys in the WWE now, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, um, AJ Styles, well over a decade of work before they got to the big time. And it's never it's never too late either, I don't think, as long as you're willing to put the time in there for exactly. him. And um yeah. But you've got to be willing to to learn and put that time and effort in. And I think you've got to be willing to I've seen a lot of people and I'm not I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here or anything like that, but um I see a lot of people who get to like the kind of years that I put in, not necessarily the level, I won't say level that I'm at, but the years that I put in and then they think they don't need to learn anymore, mm-hmm. right? Or they think yeah, I've been wrestling for ten years. You know, I know everything. What can I possibly need to learn? And you never, you, just, you can't be like that. You just cannot be like that. You know, these days there's a lot of people that are one or two years in that are going, oh yeah, I've, I've been wrestling one or two years. I know everything. It's just crazy, man. Like even you know when I came, like you said, 2017, right? I came to UBW. Um, I've been wrestling at that point. Okay, look. I started training a long time before that, but I didn't actually really start doing shows until I was in my twenties. So we're talking like 2010 before I really started doing shows for various reasons that we may or may not get into injuries and whatnot. Um, but you know, by that point, you know, I'd, I'd still been doing shows for sort of like eight years on and off by that point. Um, and, but I still didn't say to myself, well, you know, I've been doing this eight years. I don't need to learn or train. I was like, no, 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 no. You can always learn more. You can always still go to training. You can, you're always learning constantly. And if you have to start back from the beginning sometimes, then you've got to start back from the beginning. That's what you've got to do. And, and that's what I did with my CJ Carter character as well, to be honest. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and it's interesting, cool, because, I mean, you were talking about the FWA school and uh, you're saying about mm. the fact that we didn't have a ring. And it's true. We just had a, a large martial arts studio which was yeah. and a couple of crash mats. And, and you do get a lot of people now that they, they'll see a school and they'll see that it hasn't got a ring in it. And they think, oh, I'm not going to learn anything here. But you think of who came mm-hmm. out of that school. Uh, Sean Samuels, Terry Frazier, Styx, uh, Greg Burridge. Um, RJ. RJ, perfect example. RJ, um, pretty much 90% of the IPW roster in the mid-2000s had, had gone through there at some point. I remember Hay Vanson being there. And I remember he and, – and then obviously he went on to WWE eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of people yeah. went through there and they all learned without a ring. They all learned how to perform and how to wrestle and everything just with us and, and a bunch of crash mats. Um, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes you have to work so much harder in that environment, you actually learn a bit more. So a lot, a lot, of, good came, yeah. a lot of good came out of that place. And, and obviously you went on from there, you went to the XWA school where I met you and it all went from there. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a good time back then. And it was just a bunch of really hungry young talents 
that wanted to learn and wanted to do something. And it's interesting you saying that you saw the ad in Power Slam because when yeah. I started out at Hammerlock, which was 96, I'd seen the ad, or Phil had actually seen the ad, in a magazine called Superstars of Wrestling, which was the precursor to Power Slam. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> we both owe our, our start to the same magazine. You had a bit of time between when you first started out and you made it to UBW. Uh, and of course, you know, that's, that's where everything started. Anything before that is kind of, you know, it doesn't matter. But no. What, <laughs> so what was going through that time? You mentioned that you had some injuries. Um, yeah. What was kind of that, that period there? And, and did you, during that period, did you lose your drive at any point? Did you think, I'm, I'm not on one of the big shows or the big companies. Is this worth doing? Because we all have that at some point or another. Yeah. Did you have that yourself? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, once I, I, I mean, God, I've been up and down. It's like, I mean, wrestling's a roller coaster of emotions, right? It's, um, I mean, that's the that's the stuff they don't teach at wrestling school, really. And I think there needs, there needs to be some kind of, um, like almost like a mental health class for dealing with wrestling yeah. <laughs> outside of learning the learning the in ring technical side of how to be a wrestler. Someone needs to teach people how to mentally deal with wrestling because it is hard. It's very, very hard. Um, and there were times where I gave up on myself for various reasons. Um, I'm like you said, we've all been there. We've all been there. Like you're promoting yourself constantly, like relentlessly every single day, every single month, just pushing yourself out there to the world, to promoters, to fans, to whoever. And, and if you don't get that recognition back, that's, that's kind of like, you start to feel, hang on a minute. They're, they don't want me. Why do they not want me? What is not good about me? What, and then you start to get in your own head, right? And and it does mess with you. Um, but yeah, there was there was to be honest, there was a big long gap between even the the FWA stuff and even getting to that point. There was a huge gap because, I mean, I'm sure you remember F, FWA didn't the, the FWA school in London didn't, didn't last that long. I think it lasted maybe a year, maybe two years, right? It was because they moved from Finsbury Park to Manor House. They got a ring eventually. But, but I don't know, it, you might know more than me, out of the blue, it just shut one day. It was just gone. And I was like, oh. And um, and there just wasn't many schools around then. And I was just a bit lost. And so I, I went a couple of years without training because I, just, I was just like, well, I've I got nowhere to go. And then and then I, I met another guy at, at school, actually, who, who wanted to wrestle as well. And he was like, I've just heard about this school in Essex called Dropkicks in Perfleet. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. I mean, it's a bit of a mission for us. We were in London and we didn't drive. So it was like three trains and it took us about two and a half hours. But it was like, we're going to go dropkick. Frank Reimer was up there. Uh, Tony Scarlo was training up there. Um, and yeah, I, and, and I trained there for about a year. And then, I'm, and that's when I was starting. And that was when I was sort of like turning 16 and then into 17. And I was like, okay, right, maybe. Now I'm getting to an age where I could maybe be doing shows and I've been training a, a little bit at FWA and a little bit of drop kicks and maybe I'm gonna maybe this is it, maybe I'm now gonna get on a show. And um but I ended up blowing my knee out and training quite badly. Um and you I, I don't know whether you spoke to Sunset Skip about this at all, but that's how we actually met each other first. Um uh, it was they were doing a training. It was actually at one of the um what were they called? The like reunion, wasn't it? The reunions, yeah, yeah. The rest of the British wrestling reunions, yeah, at, at a pub, and they had a ring out back for us to train in. It was a boxing ring, and it's just like, oh my god, you know, oh, yeah. they were like, the, the, oh, you might as well have been training on granite. The mats were better; they were honestly better. And um, 
and I, I decided there was no one there really. There was people popping in and out, checking on us, but it was kind of like a, you know, you can do what you want in the ring type thing. It, it was like a fi- family fun day with the bouncy castle. Exactly like that. <laughs> That's a perfect example. So I'm out on the bouncy castle while all the adults are at the barbecue, right? And The irony of it being no bounce at all. Yep. No bounce at all. And I decided it would be a good idea for me to try my first ever sort of like tope over the top rope, do a somersault. And um, and I, 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 thought, I thought, how hard can this be? I'm just going to run and I'm going to jump and I'm going to flip over the rope. So I did. I ran, I jumped, I flipped. And I landed sort of like, I did a full somersault and went to land on my feet. And I, but I only landed on one leg, and it just and it but basically from my knee to my foot went all the way out at a right angle to the right, and it just so my knee was like an my leg was like an L, but facing away from my body, if you know what I mean. It just my God. knee exploded, completely exploded. I blew my cruciate ligament, I blew all my cartilage, um, and 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 Sunset Skip actually was there, and he he because I, I couldn't move. I thought I'd broken my leg. I didn't know. I was in so much, I've never been in so much pain in my life. I genuinely thought I'd broken my leg. I was like, oh my God, I can't walk. I've broken my leg. What am I going to do? And he carried me, carried me like a little baby in his arms, cradled me in his arms. He's a big dude, isn't he, Sunset Skip? So, oh, yeah. and even then he was a big dude. Uh, not quite as big as he is now, but he was a big dude. And, um, hey, Rich, he's <laughs> calling you fat. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. He was a big dude. Um, and he, he cradled me, carried me, me to his car he drove me to the station and he took me to the he literally took me to the platform so that i could get the train home because um i couldn't walk i couldn't move and then my, mm. my dad met me from the station at the other side and took me to the hospital um and yeah i had scans and things and it, it turned out yeah I tore my crucial ligament and um and they, they told me there and they told me that that would be it that they, i'd never wrestle again you know what doctors are like but you know oh, yeah. one, bad, one bad injury if, if you're fit and healthy they'll tell you you should never wrestle again so you yes. know one <laughs> one bad injury and they're definitely telling you that's it for your career but the problem was that it just it it took so long to get the surgery i was on like a i think it was like an eight month waiting list so i had to wait eight months to get the surgery so i couldn't train for that time and then once you have the surgery with cruciate ligament it takes a long time to get back to full fitness again um so it was uh, between waiting for the surgery having the surgery doing rehab getting fit again it was probably like two years so I was almost 20 by that point and, and I thought, do you know, I kind of thought to myself, oh, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I won't, you know, um, I've had this bad injury. It's taken me two years to get back to a place where my knee feels good again. And oh, I thought maybe that was it. But then um, I saw an advert for the LDN training school <laughs> and I was like, I was just, oh, you just can't get that bug out. Can you, you know what it's like. You think you can, you think you can walk away. Um, but you just can't. You just can't do it. You just Roddy Piper. If you ever get a chance to read Roddy Piper's book, he talks about it in that. It's a fantastic read. It's called uh, From the Pit. I think it's called. It's a fantastic book, and he mentions about it in that. He calls it the sickness. Yeah, it's 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 a drug and it's an addiction, and and you feel sick if you don't have it, and you can't you can't get away from it, and it's it's a it's like an addiction and an illness that draws you back into it. He talks about it in depth in that, and it's. It's very, very true. It's so true. Carry it's so, on. so true, man. And because because twice I've twice I've kind of had big breaks, um, and that being one of them, that being the first one, um, and then 
went to LDN, I trained, um, and that's where I met you. Not that you would, not that you remember me, <laughs> but that's where I, that's where I met you. And, and I remember we were actually going to have a match on the show, and I was so hyped because I remembered you, and I was such a big FWA fan back in the day. Like that for me was just incredible FWA because you never really got anything like that over here. I had never seen anything like that over here. All I remembered from British wrestling was just like the camps and stuff like that, and um, you know, and the kind of butling stuff and the the people dressing up as Undertaker or Legion of Doom or whatever. And, and, and then I saw FWA and, and I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is like indie wrestling in, in America, but over here. <laughs> and I was like, this is like ECW, but for the UK, this is, this is like the best thing I've ever seen in my life. So I was just the biggest FWA fan. I was a massive New Breed fan. So when I got to train with you, it was just like, oh, okay. Like, this is the best training I've ever had by far because it, you, like I was just like this is what training is meant to be like like there was psychology there was explanation as to why you were doing stuff it yeah. wasn't just here's how you do a headlock the end you know it was like yeah. this is how you put a match together and this is why this is why you do the stuff you do and I think you were kind of the first person that ever really explained that to me does that make sense not just here's how you do a scoop man here's how you do a suplex it was right this is why you do it this is why you move from this move to this move. This is why you might do this spot at this time. And I was like, oh, man. And that just blew my mind and opened my mind up. And I guess that's why I just kind of, um, that's why I remembered you and remembered that training. Um, and we were going to have a match. And, and then um, I think you didn't, I think you left, I think that moment you left there at the end at that point. And we never got that match. And I was always a bit guided. But yeah, but yeah I mean, um, it's interesting what you said about the FWA as well, because the entire design of everything we did there was to be a UK ECW. <laughs> That's so funny you said that. That's how I saw it as a kid, as yeah. a teenager. A young teenager. It wasn't in the sense of to be hardcore or extreme, it was in the sense to be um, different and be yeah. the kind of um, the anarchist screaming in the dark, kind of like yeah. us. No, it's us. We're, we're changing the game. We're doing things differently. I mean, there was, me and Phil were massively influenced by the Eliminators anyway. We stole most of their stuff. Yeah, we could tell um, that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there was there was always that kind of mindset. And it was – I mean, you, I don't know if you've ever heard or not the stories of ECW that, like, uh, I think um, Devon used to do the flyers and Tommy Dreamy used to do the T-shirts and Taz used to, I don't know, be a doorstop or something. They all had roles <laughs> that made it work. <laughs> But we had the same kind of mentality there that we were yeah. all working together to make something. And I think that's why a lot of the people that, that trained there lasted as long as they have, yourself included. Um, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it was an erratic time because it was a wonderful time. But like you say, it was erratic. Like two, def two different FWA schools didn't last more than a year and a half between them, I don't think. Um, drop kicks went through a change of management and a change of structure. So it was it was very erratic and it's nowhere near as stable as it is now. I was talking to Skip after the last podcast and we were talking about various bits and pieces and, and he mentioned about you and the injury. And yeah. I, I don't know, maybe I wasn't there on that one because I remember going to a few of them, but maybe I wasn't there on that you one. You were there. No, you were there. I've got a picture of me with you and Phil from that very day. <laughs> oh, man. So, but like, I was just... The memory of the 2000s is so patchy. It's unreal. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he was telling me about that and about about you getting injured and him kind of like just carrying you out of there. And yeah. it's crazy to think that that's enough to to put anybody off for good. I mean, when I did my shoulder, I was convinced I was done. But an yeah. injury like that, what was it? Was it your MCL, PCL, or ACL, or all of them? ACL, 
No, my, my ACL and my meniscus cartilage, which is, I just, I have no, even to this day, I have no cartilage in my right knee. They had to, scra- they had to scrape it all out, all of it. It's a big injury for any sportsman. And, and yeah, that can be enough to finish you there and then. And to be able to come back, well, one, to be able to have the drive to come back and then the balls to actually try and come back is, is quite incredible mm-hmm. in itself. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> it is, though. I mean, I, I think, and I was saying this to, I think it was, Oh, I can't remember now. See, my memory's so bad. A couple of weeks and it's gone. Yeah, no, it was actually, I think it was Tommy Carlos saying too, that sometimes I'm a big believer that you have to, you have to go through the bad stuff to appreciate everything else. Absolutely. And I think Absolutely. that's the injuries. You sometimes you have to have an injury to understand and appreciate what it's like to not have an injury. You, you take yourself for granted big time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've known people that the first time they've had their first injury, even if it was just something like a, a concussion, not that concussion is anything small, but you know, it's recoverable from or, um, or dislocation or, or just a, just a tear or a strain. It's been enough to make them go, geez, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. So yeah, you see, what you're yeah, but to come yeah. back from that is, is quite miraculous in itself. But so let's, let's look at the, 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 the timelines. So you've, You've come back from this. You've you've kept training again. You're getting your, kind of getting your drive back again. Um, yeah. You've moved on from from London. What's yeah. the next step from there? And what's the gap between there and well, yeah, we'll get to CJ Carter in a second. But the the gap between there and CJ, what were you doing there? And and how did you keep yeah. yourself going? Well, the next thing from there was I went on to um, Lucha Britannia. I went on to train at Lucha because a lot of people a lot of people moved on from LDM to Lucha actually. Um, and they they were kind of saying that the training was a lot better there. And I think you know the guys there a bit, right? You know Greg and Gary, and you worked there for a bit as well. You worked there for you, you was right there at the beginning, right when it first started. You were there. So. Well, I was I was the 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 man himself, Major Lee Rotten. And and yeah. let me finish this because it's not suitable for air. I'll, for air. I'll tell you about my first ever promo, which almost got me barred for life. But yeah, Lucha's <laughs> great. Carry on. Yeah, so Lucha, Lucha was great. Yeah, I mean, um, and I went there and I trained there, and I was like, okay. So, like, with every step of my career, I went from like, it was a bit shady, it was a little bit less shady, a little bit less shady, a little bit less shady as I went along. And I got to Lucha, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is cool. And um, the training was, you know, other than training with you, was just far superior than anywhere else I'd trained. And Greg, I think, you know, my when, if people ask who I would train by, I always say you and Greg. I don't really mention anyone else because the, you two are definitely the two best trainers I've ever trained with. Um, and I think Greg is, is an incredible, incredible trainer. And he's, he's trained so many top stars in this country. Like he, he trained Tom Dawkins. He trained Cassius. Um, he trained Will Ospreay. He trained Callum Newman. Do you know what I mean? He, he's a very good trainer. And, um, very. and, and and that's where I met. That's where I met Paddy there as well, who's, who's Gene Money, mm-hmm. and um, and we hit it off, and, and we became friends there, and, and we started doing a tag team. We started doing a tag team called the Lavelle Brothers, which um, which couldn't be any further away from my actual character if I tried. But you know, you know, sometimes when you're just trying to trying to rule the gloves until you find one that fits, right? You just Paddy was already doing Johnny Lavelle, who was like some posh boy middle class gimmick, right? Oh, I thought you said Lavelle. I thought you meant no, oh. Lavelle. Because Judo Jean LaBelle was like a legit super hard shooter hooker guy. And I'm like, <laughs> not you guys at all. No, 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 no. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll shut up. I'll put my earplugs back in. Carry on. The, the, the gimmick was nothing like that, that's for sure. It was two, 
two eaten educated posh boys and uh, I couldn't be any more working class if I tried. Um, <laughs> I, it just, I mean, I tried to make it work and you know, I learned a lot doing it. You know, sometimes you do, right? Like you said, from the failures, you learn more than anything. And um, it actually worked out all right, to be fair. You know, we got a fair, we got some decent bookings. Um, we're doing okay. We were building up a little bit. Um, I was working on my posh accent. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to learn how to hold a wine glass properly because I got called out on that because <laughs> I'm so working class. I don't hold a wine glass properly. Um, but you know, we got we got some nice gear made, and we we had some uh, nice blazers, and you know, we came out with croquet mallets, and um, and it was going okay. But but the thing was that I was getting really, this is where it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit at the beginning. I was getting really super frustrated with like not getting the bookings I was promised I was getting. I thought stuff was coming and then it didn't come. And, um, you know, you pitch yourself to a few places and you get knocked back and, um, and, and just the constant, constant knockbacks. And I started to really doubt myself. And I, and I just, I just had my first daughter at the time. I had my first daughter quite young. So I was only 24. Um, and she wasn't very old. She was only like two or I think she was two or three at the time. She was quite young. And, um, and I started, I started thinking, you know what? Um, I'm giving up a lot of time with, with my daughter to really try and pursue this wrestling career. And I'm getting so many knockbacks and, and it got in my head and I started getting a bit down about it and it started affecting my mental health a bit. And I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to step away, mate. I'm just going to. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it quits and I'm gonna stay at home with the family and and be a family man, you know. And so I walked. That's where I walked away for quite a while actually. This time, um, and um, and and that's where it really really got into my head. Um, and and I spent two and two and a half years out. I was there between that and and then meeting you at UBW and being you, and being and being CJ Carter and making that comeback and doing the run I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And I just spent like two and a half years being really bitter and really miserable. And watching all the people that I trained with and and kind of came through with kind of become successes and and it and it really started to like bother me and eat me up and you know it's, I'm sure you we've all been there at some point right yeah. Where you you open Facebook or whatever and you see someone that you was working with doing really well and and you're like ah like like what the hell man like like you see Osprey like I just like me and Paddy started training with Osprey right when he first started and seeing him go off and become a huge star and, and you know and seeing Tom Dawkins go off and be a huge star and it's just like ah oh, and you're seeing Pete Dunn and Damien Dunn go off and be huge stars and it's just like and it just and it, you just get that itch you got to scratch you just got to scratch it and um and you know I think that itch sometimes hits a lot harder when and and this isn't a this isn't a reflection of ego, but when you know you're capable, yeah. People that that try this and it doesn't work out for them. I mean, I've mentioned him before, but Alex Knowles, our, our head ref, he tried a lifetime wrestling fan. He tried the physical side of it, and he wasn't particularly good at it, and he didn't really enjoy it on the physical side. And he turned around and said, "It's not for me. I'll, I'll be a ref. I'll be a character or anything else. I'll be a manager if you want me to." But the actual wrestling physical side, not for me. And he's never, he's never really, he's never regretted that. He's been yeah. fine with it because he knows that he hasn't got that in his wheelhouse as a skill set. But I think if you know deep down, and like I say, it's not an ego; it's just a fact. If you yeah, know you're good at it, you know you can do it. You know you've got a mind for it. When that's taken away from you, and it's not your 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 reasons, and it's 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 not it's not for a justified reason. That yeah. way at you, 
And the thing is, is you get people, people that you still speak to from wrestling or your friends and they keep going to, oh, you were really good. Or like, you was, you were as good as him. Why are you not at his level? You were as good as him. How comes he's doing it and you're not? Like, you were quite good at that. Why are you, why are you not signed by WWE and all this? And it's like, like, cause I'm not, all right? Cause I'm not. <laughs> like, yeah. cause, and like you said, when you know deep down that like, I'm not saying I'm the, the absolute best wrestler in the world, but I know I can, I know I can work. I know I can put on a, at least a, a decent enough match that fans will enjoy. Okay. Um, and, and when you know deep down inside that you can do that, but you're not doing it, like you said, it's, it, it got to eat you up. It eats you up inside. Um, and it's hard to walk away from. And, and so uh, Paddy actually, he's the one who, who, dra- who dragged me back. If it wasn't for Paddy, for Gene Money, there would be no TJ Carr. And I don't think I would have ever actually come back. I would have just sat around, been miserable, been bitter, and carried on doing that to this day. But, but he kind of was like, come on, man, give it another go. You were good. We were good. Come back. And he was, he was uh, booking a promotion in Milton Keynes at the time. And he said to me, look, I will, I will make sure that I, I use you right and you won't get messed about anymore. Because that was the thing for me. I was like, I was having a few mental health problems and I was just struggling with being messed about with the broken promises and things like that, you know? And it, and he was like, look, look, I'll look after you and, and I'll tell you how I'm going to use you and, and you've only got to ever work for me. And that was what I was going to do. I was only ever going to work for him. And that was it. I was never going to go anywhere else. Um, and so what I decided to do is, right, I'm going to come back and what I'm going to do is I'm going to tap into those sort of like two and a half years where I sat at home and I was in dark place and I was quite miserable and I was really bitter and I was really resentful and I was really just like hated everyone. I hated the world. <laughs> and I was like, right, I'm going to tap into that, that mindset and I'm going to create a character out of it. Um, and that's how CJ Carter was born. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm sure you've heard on the other one, because I know, I know you've listened to all the other episodes several times, but oh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've mentioned on a few of those that, there's two trains of thought of whether you, when you're a wrestling character, it's you turned up to 11 or it's you completely the opposite of who you actually are. And I think both work the best, but I'm not a big believer in you have to be yourself turned up to 11. Sometimes it's best if you're the complete opposite of you. But mm-hmm. whatever it is, you need to have something you can tap into. Now, what I have always done with mine as a baby face is I've always tapped into... Um, the hero complex that I've got. I want to help people. I don't like seeing injustice. That drives me. Mm. When I'm a heel, I become everything I hate in a person. I become that jock at school, or I become that douchebag that you've got at work that is got delusions of how important he is. I become that person. So I, I do both ends of that scale depending on what I'm doing. But either way, I'm channeling things that have happened to me in the past or things that have mm-hmm. shaped who I am. And I think that's an essential that's thing. But it's helped you find in my opinion your resonance because you've had the various years doing various things and they've all been good and they've all been tracking but all of a sudden it's like you've got these two dials doing two different frequencies and you've now got them matched and you've now got the right frequency and the pictures come together because you're now being the best version of you possible because you've got something behind it so you just nailed it, right? You just absolutely, you nailed it for me. And um, to have a successful character, I think you've got to have something, like some life experiences or something in you or something in other people that you can relate to, that you can tap into, that you can use for your character. It's like, I didn't I didn't have that when I was doing Christopher Lavelle with Johnny Lavelle. It was, you know, and I see it in a lot of other people who are just, they're given a gimmick or they just pick a gimmick out of thin air. We've all done it. We've all tried it. And you try and act a part, but you don't really have anything to kind of attach yourself to 
or relate to or fall back on that makes it realistic. And and so with the CJ Carter character, even though some people say, you know, it's not like me personally, um, what I what I do is I tap into that those thoughts in my mind that I was thinking and feeling in those two and a half years off, and that's where it comes from. So you have that base, that that realism, something that you can go to, to to draw to, to create the cam the character, the gimmick, the promos, the way you work in the ring, just the small things. Do you know what I mean? how you stomp on a person in the ring, how you lay in your strikes, the way you react to the crowd, the things you say. You need something to to really mould that character and um, like you nailed it you need, you need to have that or, or it just never really works does it you know you can tell people are just playing a part yeah yeah and that's the big difference I think and it takes everyone normally a few years or a few iterations to get that but yeah you, you've got to have something to be able to draw from unless you're just a really really good actor and not many people fall yeah, into that category exactly you've got to be just an incredible yeah. actor to be able to be right I'm going to play that part and have no kind yeah. of experience in that character or anything to draw to for that character to just go right i'm gonna be a spaceman <laughs> and i'm gonna play the best yeah. spaceman i could ever be like you've got yeah you've just got to be but an incredible actor you think you're on a bigger scale as well undoubtedly cm punk's biggest moment and most memorable moment all these years on was the pipe bomb and that was a true and honest promo from the heart of how he was actually feeling yeah um, the Rock, Rocky Maivia wasn't The Rock. Nation of Domination Rock wasn't really The Rock. The smack-talking, sunglass-wearing, $10,000 shirt dickhead jock rock was, was the guy that he could draw from. He could draw from his experiences, and which one of those was a millionaire, one of them wasn't. And it's it, like I say, you go through various stages to get there, but when you do, you've got it, and you've definitely got that resonance now with CJ, and it's funny because when you first pitched the character to me, I was a little bit reticent at first. Yeah, because I remember. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you ever saw it or not. I put a thing up on Facebook a, about a year or so ago, and it was um, trainee wrestler gimmick bingo. And it's a thing that, that so many trainee wrestlers come up to you with, with their first character. And it's either um, Dark and Twisted, yeah. Heath Ledger's Joker, yeah. Um, personal inside turmoil um i'm a heel because i don't like people it's all these things and like it, it's <laughs> it's almost like it's kind of uh this, this caricature of uh what the the mass media thinks um new metalers or, or goths or, or metalheads are hmm. and when you first pitched it i was like oh That's what no yeah <laughs> oh, this is the cookie cutter oh no but then when i saw it i was like okay well he's put more into it than that it's not it's not quite that that's one dimensional. Then you showed me some more stuff around it. And I was like, Oh, okay. No, no, it's much more than that. This is actually fully fleshed out. And then seeing your work attached to it, it was like, I, I almost, I almost don't care about what the character looks like or, or what it is on a, on a first impression scale, because the character suddenly becomes, okay, he's this rabid alternative looking um, dark animal that shit he can go as soon as that bell goes he's on yeah that's, and you look past it that's the idea I didn't want to just I wanted to I always wanted look my my, my style of wrestling that I love is is wrestlers who go in there and they just you know they go all out in the ring I'm, and so I always wanted to to make sure I had that work rate in my character so so you know the idea was that like 
I, I, I have all this pent up aggression and things like that. And I save it. I get to the, and when I'm in that ring with someone and that's what the face paint is about. It's like a war paint. Do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, right now I'm in the ring. Now all of that aggression comes out and it, but it doesn't just come out in like, you know, I'm angry. It comes out in wrestling form, you know, and, and, and but yeah. viciously and fast and aggressive. And, um, and, and that's what I wanted for that, for that character as well. I wanted the, I wanted the matches and the wrestling to, to, to shape the character as well as the character. Does that, does that make sense? You know? No, it does. Absolutely. And, and sometimes it's almost like, it's like two levels on an equalizer. You've got these two parts to it, the, the in-ring work and, and the character itself. One's higher than the other. And another one goes higher than the other one. And you slowly balance them in between and, and get them to work together. Um, but you've got that and you've got that right balance with it. And you, know, you don't sit in the corner and kind of like hang your head to the side or anything. He's not that kind of character. The, like I say, the, the, the entrance and the face paint is almost, it's the inside pouring out rather than the, the outside being a sheath for, to compensate for what's not inside. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what the entrance is. That's what the face paint is. It's the, it's the feelings inside coming out Do you know that's what that's the best way of explaining it and that's how I, I, I wish i'd explained it to other people like that before i've never heard it explained like that but like do you know what you're talking about isn't it? it's yeah it's just like that's that's what it is it's like yeah and um but what i've managed to do i think even at, at ubw more i think probably more so than any other promotion i've worked over the last four years is really mold that character and grow that character like give it like a a proper story arc and and different layers and levels to the character and something that I haven't managed to do at a lot of other promotions. Most, you know, you know how it is at some promotions. It's just right. You turn up, you booked with this guy, you're wrestling this guy, and and that's pretty much it, show to show, right? Whereas with you and with UEW, we've managed to like tell stories and and have a couple of different storylines. Um, one really long term one with Crowley, which was a, which is probably my favourite storyline and matches I've had in the last four years. But also with even with Tommy Kyle, I had a nice little storyline there, and and um, with Xander as well. There's three just three storylines there where I've managed mm. to to really grow the character and give it different elements and show. And you know, I took the face paint off for a bit and showed a different side to CJ Carl, but then yeah. brought it back when I needed to. You know, um, yeah. And see, for me, like you know, this we've discussed this many times ourselves. When it comes to what I do with UBW, I, I want it to be a storybook and I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show once upon a time, it's um, it's a great show, but it's all based on all the kind of fairy, fairy tale characters in, in the enchanted forest. And there's loads of stuff that goes on and they all intermix and everything. And they retell classic stories, but everyone in that's got a story and everyone in that has a purpose and they interact. And sometimes you'll go five or six episodes and the focus is on Prince Charming and then you'll go three episodes and there's a um, there's a story arc on, on Little Red Riding Hood. And then there's like eight episodes on the evil queen. and But everyone kind of intermixes in and out of it. And everyone has their turn. But everyone's got a purpose as to why they're there, what they're doing, and what their part in the bigger scheme of it is. Mm-hmm. That's what I've always tried to do. I, I don't, I'm not mocking anyone that does it because it's what works for them. But I don't believe in putting on shows with, here's a match of two people wrestling. Here is another match of four people wrestling. <laughs> yeah. substance to it. Well, that is about ninety percent of of what wrestling is in this country, to be honest. And I'm like I said, I'm not knocking I'm not knocking the people that do it either. Like it a lot of these promotions they sell, you know, 
loads of tickets mm. make good money and people come and watch it but it's different you know it's well yeah i mean one we have because of our location a family audience yeah so it's a lot of kids parents dragged along for it or it's kind of like eh, floating and out of resting kind of fans so they get attracted to the characters and this has been proven because I've, I've done matches where I've just put on here's guy versus guy. Here's this big name versus this indie star. And I don't really care, but they get invested in the characters and people that have got a story. Um, and, and that's over the years and stuff that I've been involved in the business and stuff that I've seen what people connect to, even in the quote unquote smart places like, like IPW was in the mid two thousands. Mm. Um, the fans cared about the stories. Like my tag partner there, Chris Linnell, you couldn't get a more white meat baby face if you tried. He, his outfit was literally all white, head to toe. <laughs> he had the pretty little baby face. He, he didn't even have facial hair at the time. I don't think he could grow it. But you couldn't get a more white meat baby face, which they would eat alive. Anyone that was even remotely, hey, I'm a good guy, kill him. <laughs> they hated it. But they loved Linnell because they hated me so much because we had a storyline that I'd taken him on as my protege. I'd turned my back on him for my old tag partner. And I'd, I'd been a complete dick to him for so long. They wanted to see me dead. They hated me that much. And they loved Linnell for it. And he was the only person in that company for about a year period. It was a baby face that got cheered and they cared. When when he finally beat me, people were standing. They were in, almost in tears. They were throwing babies in the air. They were happy about it because we made them invested. And then we put the work around that as well. And I try and do that with everybody. So whether it's... Spike Valentine's road to the title because he's the underdog, whether it's um, uh, Percy Trainer's long, arduous journey of not being um, a technical wrestler, not being a natural wrestler, but he's got the heart of a champion. Everyone's got to have that. And with you, it was easy because you're, you never had to worry about your in-ring work. So there was never any worry about having to cover that or hide that with something different. No, you just needed a good quality story to go with. Uh-huh. And it was interesting because when you first came in and you were with, with against Tommy Kyle, you were the the outsider villain that's got all this stuff behind him, got all his skill set, and he's this dangerous entity. Uh-huh. That was kind of what we were going to go with at first, but I didn't have any ideas beyond that. But what happened came so organically, it was unreal. And I want to go into this now because this is, I think, the big part of it all. It's you and Crowley. Yeah, it was just amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was something that happened organically, and and I, and me and Crowley spoke about it, and I remember because it was going to be originally you against Toby Clements. Yeah, yeah. On the show. Yeah. Toby got knee injured, unfortunately, and I said to you, "Look, we want to give this Crowley kid a go. I know you can look after him. I know you can carry this. How do you feel about it?" And you were you were up for it straight away because. You know what you can do, and you could see the, the potential in him, and you were quite happy for it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just from having met him and spoken to him on the – I think I'd met him for one show before that, which was, he did the six-man at the show previous to that, and that was, his, yes. I think, his debut, I think. And It was. Just from having spending 20, 30 minutes with him and did, did some training with him at, at the school, I was like, yeah, this guy's got it. You know when you just know? You, don't even, you just oh. you meet someone and you just like, okay, yeah, this guy gets it. He gets it. Uh, yeah, but that was the idea that, that 
you would not only get him through it, but you'd give him some valuable in-ring experience so we could start doing something with him. But something happened and you two had a chemistry. <laughs> and I think a lot of that came from you and your willingness to like, a lot of people would go in there and go, oh, it's his first ever singles match. I'm not going to give him too much. I'm not going to do too much. We're going to keep it simple. Yeah, don't do simple. <laughs> You were just like, mate, let's do everything and let's just let's just go out there and smash this. Yeah. And you did. And like I said to Crowley, that video of him spearing you in midair, that was promotional material for two years straight. Because <laughs> yeah. it was so good. And I was ringside watching that and I was like, Jesus, this these two, my God. and there was a natural something there. And then that allowed this story to develop over time organically. And you know that, that the story about how um, the Undertaker's streak, they didn't realise until he got about 10 under his belt, they went, oh, we've got a streak going on here. And we realised that with you as well, that everywhere you'd worked with Crowley, both in UBW and elsewhere, yeah. you'd always won. Always, yeah. <laughs> and you'd like developing the streak against him, and he'd never beaten you. And like, bang, straight away, we've got something there. I can use this. This can be a, an impetus to do a storyline with of, you're his absolute nemesis and he can't, he can't beat you. So when everything's on the line, that win means more than anything in the world. And we built this for, oh, I was best part of it. Um, six, seven months. I think yeah. we're building this. Yeah. yeah, it was a, it's a long while. But you, you were, and you know, I normally leave it to the end to do this, but I'm going to do a little bit now. But I smoke up your ass. <laughs> you were consistently the most reliable, relatable and most, Overperformer on every show we had constantly, just bang, 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 deliver. Oh man, it's too fun. <laughs> and, and it was just like, he's so good, we need to give you something major, something main. Obviously, you had the road to the title belt because it was no doubt in my mind that you were the right person at that time because you were red hot. Percy had had his run. Um, we wanted to do the whole thing with him and Hugo Bloom. So there were various people that were, <laughs> there's always various people pitching themselves. There's various people, but I was like, no, CJ's the right one for this because he can, he can be the villain for then, but this is also the vehicle to him being so much more. You, you're one of those people where, wherever a lot of people get into the, the main belt is kind of like the pinnacle. This was actually your setting off point for me. This was your yeah. launching point. This is the, this guy's for real. This guy's legit watch what we're going to do from here. And then when you moved out of that area from the, from the title picture, that's when it really started because that's when we started building you and Crowley. And that story to this day is still my favorite thing I've done as a, as a promoter and as a booker. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was one of the, it's one of my favorite things I've ever done as, as a worker as well. I remember when we were sitting there planning out on a whiteboard and it was like, here's the story. Here's the, the, the whole arc of it all, what we're going to do with Crowley over this time. And there was a couple of times when I spoke to Crowley and he was like, Oh, can we, can we just do this quicker? No, this has got to go the distance. We've got to make this work. Yeah. We've got to tell the story. And there was various reasons why it was, <laughs> it was various bumps in the road, but it got to the point that the fans were so invested in it. When that match happened, that final one between the two of you, it was a packed house for a start. It was new. You couldn't stand there if you tried. And they were so invested in your match. People were were literally up and down and cheering and jumping and everything on the edge of their seats the whole way through it. 
every near 40 end, I've not seen the response like it on any one of our shows. They bought the story. Like they bought the story that you told and, and we, we, cause we cut the promos beforehand as well. Both of us. I mean, I, I think we've marked them two each or, or he did two and I did one or something like that. And we told the story of the four and oh at UBW. I'd beaten him four times at UBW. Um, and we really sold that story of, you know, he can't beat me. Um, and like you said, I'm his ultimate nemesis. And when we came out that day and you'd, you'd done the whole coffin entrance that you set up for me, I came out with the coffin, which was just absolutely epic. But you had the 4-0. and You had the 4-0 and on the coffin. And I think when people saw that, they were like, oh, right, you know, here we go. People got that 4-0 and story. There was a couple of 4-0 and like four, four and um signs in the crowd and it's just like it just like you said the story was so great that they they were so invested in the match before the match even started like just the entrances alone you could feel that they were that they were ready do you know what i mean they wanted that match we hadn't even done anything we hadn't even locked up because you told such a great story they were there yeah but we'd done it in such a way that even if people had come along that night for the first time ever to see the ubw product yeah they could tell what was going on because they like you say with the, the you get in the coffin entrance, all of a sudden, oh, hold on, this is the big match. This is this is something that's got something behind it because nobody else is getting this kind of entrance. And then the four and zero on the coffin, oh, that oh four and zero, oh, what's all that about then? There's oh, all of a sudden there's an undefeated streak on the line as well, as well as the belt. Mm-hmm. Anyone that's seen that for the first time, bang, they're clashing onto it straight away. And Crowley's so good at being a dick as a heel as well. He's good. He's great. Does annoyingly, he's just like ridiculously good at everything, but, but yeah, he's when all of a sudden you're doing what you do in the ring, they're like, Wow, not only do I want to see this guy kick his ass, but I just want to see this guy win because he's so good. And it was it was a no lose situation. And it, honestly, if I had to stop promoting tomorrow, I would be happy the fact that we pulled that off above all else. Yeah, it was, it felt like it did feel like one of those moments, didn't it? A little bit like I remember even yeah. looking back at that. I'm thinking, you know what? If I didn't wrestle again, that was just great. Just the en- just the entrance, the moment, the, the whole, it just felt right, you know? And it was like, not a lot of people are willing to put that time and effort into to not just the story and the build-up, but the little things like the entrances and everything just that surrounded it. It wasn't just like, right, put these two guys in the ring and they can have a match. Because you could do that, and I'm sure it'd be a decent match. But it's like all the bells and whistles that come along with it, you know, that, that most people, they just they just don't do and it i mean we were going to levels i mean we, most people know we work on a zero budget so we we we're lucky to pull off what we do but it's this the extra effort that you put in like i was around uh, one of our up and coming guys josh i was around his house on a saturday spray painting the mats for floor is lava while he's creating and making that coffin for you out of <laughs> just what he managed to get a hold of so he's standing there in bear in mind we're we're at the back of this um this uh, apartment block and he's hammering a coffin together while I'm spray painting fire on some mats. <laughs> the people living there must have thought, what are you always wrong with these people? They crack it. But it's like going to that extra level and then it's like, hey, Justin, can you come all the way to mine to pick up this to take there and go all the way there to pick up the coffin so we can transport that? And it's going an extra mile just to be able to pull off like a 60 second entrance. But it paid off. And I think level that people need to do more of because that's what makes the characters. And 
you know, I, I don't want to pat on the back for it. I don't want kudos for it. I don't want to claim my petrol money for it. I want to create this, and I want this to be someone that can go to somewhere else and go, hey, look, here's my highlight reel. Look at this. Yeah. And they go, hey, hell, you come out of a coffee. Yeah, that's it. Just that. It makes you stand out. But the thing is, is it might only be a 60-second entrance, right? But like you just said, it builds the character forever. So you know, those UBW fans will always remember that entrance, and it, they associate the character with that. And then it gives that character a sort of like it elevates it to a level with those fans now that it will always be there. And so that yeah. 60 seconds is only 60 seconds, but it will last years or for as long as you need it to last at UBW because that's it now. You know, it resonates with, with those fans. And you put that time and effort into just 60 seconds, but it pays off for months and years to come. So, And it's funny because I had a conversation with somebody recently uh, who shall remain nameless, Crowley. <laughs> but he was saying about, when we restart shows, do we just do a hard reset? Do we just forget everything we've had going before and just start everything fresh? I said, no. I said, here's why. And all I said was two words, CJ Carter. And he went, oh, yeah, good point. Because we've got that whole idea planned out for when we want to do when we come back as the next stage of yours and his. What's the word for it? The rivalry doesn't do it justice. Yours and his story. Yeah. Is the next stage for that. And I said that to him. He went, yeah, good point. Okay. We, we can reset some bits, but we're not resetting that because we assume there's too much there to go to and too much more well, to I do. I think something with like, a lot of people are having these conversations right now about um, like initially, even last summer, people were having the conversations of, do you carry storylines on? Do you just do a full reset? It's been a while where they remember stuff. And, and a lot of people for the last year have been thinking that. And I think a lot of places now are thinking, oh, we'll just do the hard reset. But, I think I think with some stories that maybe have just started or were new or were only like a couple of months in or with new characters, they're not going to remember. That's 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 a given, and you do kind of need to start again with some things. But but with that story, I mean, I'm sure with other stories around the country and other promotions that are, you know, like you said, it doesn't like a three year story with two huge characters at UBW. They're not going to forget that. They're not going to. You could you could we could both go away for like two years and come back and they're still going to remember that story. It's that type of story, you know? Um, and, and- well, bear in mind that you are one of the few people that managed to turn a crowd that they, they hated you for being a bad guy. Yeah. But a few matches, like, Oh yeah, CJ's cool. We want CJ to win. And I'm like, Oh, this is completely going against the plans. But you know, you are, you're that, um, you're that. You're not even a tweener on purpose. You're that kind of character that people gravitate towards. Like I, I said to, um, oh, it was Tommy Kyle in our promo on our podcast on on that one recently about the old Kevin Nash adage that Kevin Nash isn't everyone's favourite, but he's always said that you have the three types of fans and you need to appeal to those three types of fans. You do. You click all those demographics. You're a superhero slash supervillain to the kids. You're. Um, a guy that people either want to go for a beer with or have a fight with, but they think you're cool either way. Mm. So you, you hit those demographics, you hit those those points, and it's that then takes your character from being two dimensional to three dimensional. Crowley's the same. So there's no way in the world I'd ever drop that storyline that I'm doing. No, it's good to hear because I want to work with him more. Um, you can never work with him enough. I don't think you can never work with a guy who's that good enough. You know, um, it just doesn't. Very often, <laughs> somebody else you've got that chemistry with is is Tommy Kyle. Oh, yeah. I mean, you and yeah. him 
And I think that comes from the fact that you are both kind of like, let's go in there and balls to the wall. Yeah, we've got a similar style and we've got a similar ethos when it comes to our matches, yeah. Yeah, but your fallout match was was just off the charts and you've got a definite chemistry, you and him together. Like I would I would quite happily put you against him and Crowley one after the other non-stop for the rest of your career. And yeah, I mean, he's... And I think we were talking about this on the, on the podcast with him as well. You really helped develop him because when he became the pilot, that was his first outing against you. Yeah. And work with you gave that character some credibility, helped him become comfortable in what he was doing with it. And I think you are responsible for him evolving so much. And just just by in terms of just helping him through it, I think you evolved him enormously. Yeah, and he's he's another guy like Crowley who's who just wants to learn and absorb as much information as possible and will just listen to, to anything you've got to tell them. And they're never going to turn their nose up at you and go, no, nah, I don't think, nah, I'm not having that or that, or I know better than you, or, you know. It's like they're just willing to learn and listen and absorb. And, and, and it's just it's amazing to work with people like that. I'm sure you, you feel the same. You've trained loads of people. I don't, I don't know. I don't get what it is with some people who are just not, they're not willing to listen to any form of criticism about their work ever. They're not willing to, to take on board any kind of, um, you know, and they're not willing to take on board anything that might help them adapt their work or change their work. A lot of people seem to think they know it all, right? You, you, you said it earlier. There's guys that have been in the wrestling for two years that think they know everything. I've met people that have been in, they've had two matches and they think they know everything. And it just, it's astounding. It just blows my mind. But then you meet people like Crowley and, 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 and Tommy Carr who are just, they're just the complete opposite to that. And it's like, it's refreshing to have. And, you know, that's why I put the effort into them and, and yourself and people that I know are going to put that work in and have the right attitude. I, I'll, I'll give somebody, and, you know, you three are, are not this category at all, but I'll give someone who's got the right attitude but not the right ring skills 10 times the opportunities of people that have got all the skill in the world but a bad attitude. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every time. Um, you're, you guys are just lucky that you've both got both. You know, you've got the skills and you've got the in-ring, so you've got the right attitude and you, you're good in there as well. So you're just too damn talented, mate. Uh, <laughs> I wish everyone felt like that. Um, so outside of UBW, yeah. uh, a few years ago, and you did very well with this, you and the aforementioned Mr. G Money yep. started up a little promotion yourselves. Yeah, yeah, we did. So yeah we did yeah 2018 it was actually i can't believe it's been free in fact it was three years ago uh literally just a couple of days gone so it was the 18th of february uh 2018 because the, the anniversary came up on my face and i was like oh my god i cannot believe that's been three years you know we started a, a promotion in my hometown in Bournemouth, um called pro wrestling clash and um it was just born out of the fact that actually Paddy was running a promotion in Milton Keynes. He spent a lot of time and effort into it and doing pretty well with it. But actually, the guy he was working with on it was pretty dodgy and was just siphoning off all the money. And I was, after having been there a while with Paddy, was actually doing all the kind of filming and editing and post-production stuff. And I was like, look, mate, you're, like, you're doing all the graphics, all the booking, all the, the you know storylines. I'm doing all the video stuff. And this guy's walking away with all the money. <laughs> like why don't we, 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 you're doing all right at running this promotion. Why don't we give this a go ourselves and, and put our time, all of this time and effort we're putting into, into saying it's ours. And so we, we thought, yeah, let's give it a go. We'll, give, we'll do a show, you know, we'll do one show together. 
and we and we did one show and it, and it sold out. Um, the first show sold out in like two or three weeks or something. It was like, whoa, <laughs> okay, let's try another one. And you know, two years later, we, we were still running Pro Wrestling Clash, and um, it was enjoyable, man. And you know, we did pretty decent numbers at the shows. Um, we sold out most shows, if not all of the shows. Um, and we worked with some great guys who've come through there, like uh, Sam Stoker, who's now on WWE NXT, and and Carl Noir. Um, you know, it was and Spike Trevay and Chuck Mambo and you know Scotty Davis and and loads of guys come through, um, who who at the time weren't necessarily the biggest names in the world, but you know we knew them from working with them, so we gave them a platform and. And and they smashed it out of the park and 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 thankfully we put on some really good shows. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I was obviously keeping a close ear to it because I I, I cared because you were involved in it. and I wanted you to do well, and obviously I wanted to get more of my guys on your shows as much as possible. But it was always a good positive feedback, and people that went really loved it and really enjoyed it. And I remember you and I talking throughout quite a bit because obviously you found out the the hard way that. Running shows is so damn stressful. Oh, yeah, man. It's so stressful. <laughs> and I was really concerned for you because I know what it's done to my mental health over the years and how many times it's it's broken me. So I was very conscious of keeping in touch with you and making sure that you at least had a venting point at the very least. Yeah, it was it was eye so it was eye opening. It was um yeah. yeah. It, there's nothing quite like there's one thing helping out on shows. It's not the yeah. same as having your own promotion, <laughs> it, it, and it, it is mentally draining in a way. When it's your own money that you're putting into it, um, and your money is on the line every single month or every other month, and you know you are promoting, you are having to go out and promote every single day, poster, flyer, Facebook, everything, because you know your money is riding on it. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, you've got like I don't know, 20, 30, 50 guys on your case about various different things. It. Yeah, it's an experience I mean, you have to go through to really understand, I think. Yeah, for three years straight, up until uh, lockdown and everything, three years straight, I didn't have a lunch break to myself at work. Every lunch break would be grab my laptop and while I'm trying to eat something out of a Tupperware box, be doing uh, graphics, be doing video editing, be doing posters, be doing press releases, doing mail shots. That's it. I would be up to two every morning because... I need to try and have a personal life. And then uh, it would go to bedtime. i say, okay, you go to bed. I'll be up in a minute. I'll be up till two in the morning doing it because that way it's not eating into a relationship and personal time. And and, and that's every day. Yeah. And that promoting is, is done. And then you're on you're in contact with the, the talent all the time and you're trying to do everything with the venue and you're getting all the legalities done. It's endless. Excellent. And the promoting doesn't stop up until the minute the show starts. No, and people think, people think it's just... You turn up on the day, you put the show on, you leave. And I don't think people realise how much, like you said, it's every lunch break, it's every evening, it's every spare moment you get. You know, you're either, you know, I was editing, I was editing all the shows. I was, I'd come home from work at seven and I'd edit until like midnight, pretty much every day. And it would take me from one show to the next to finish editing the show and then I'm editing the next show. And it's like, this the small things that, you know, you've got to work on the posters. And I know you do all of your, like you do a lot of your own posters and graphics and stuff. And it's like, yeah. that takes ages. And then you got to try and work yeah. out the storylines and then you lay the storylines out and someone's not happy with it or someone gets injured or whatever and you got to work them all out again. And 
I've learned to work around that whole I'm not happy with a storyline bit. I've learned to work it out with shut up or don't work the show. It took me a long while, but I've got to that point now. So, yeah. But yeah, it's incredibly stressful and, it, and it, it is very hard. But I think you can be very, very proud of what you did with Clash because it never had any bad feedback. It never had a bad review and everyone loved being a part of it. And people were, oh, well, <laughs> we'll get to this in a second, but people were always scratching at your door to try and be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Which leads me on to, um, obviously, yourself and Paddy decided to close the doors on Clash for a bunch of reasons. Yeah. Um, he was obviously getting a lot busy with work, so were you. Personal life as well, and there was a bunch of reasons for that. But shortly after that, <laughs> yeah. I remember, cause I remember contacting you going, oh, what's this? Yeah. And you'd released a graphic to announce... Pro Wrestling Ignite, which is your next venture for running shows as well. And I I still vividly remember the conversation of, okay, when are you going public with this? Oh, tomorrow. Okay, I'll speak to you tomorrow evening. (laughs) Let me know how your inbox has been. Yeah. And you contacted me in the afternoon and went, I've had to switch it off because it won't stop. Yeah, my inbox died in less than 24 hours of posting about starting (laughs) doing another show. (laughs) Uh, yeah, they do come running. They do come running. We called it. We called it a day with Clash in the end. Like you said, Pat, the thing is, Paddy's single career started blowing up, you know, and it was Clash was eating up a lot of our time and money. Um, and he, he wanted to really make a career of wrestling. Like actually, like he went, he you know he gave up his job in the end, and he, he threw himself in one hundred and ten percent to to his career and making it. Uh, as a full-time wrestler and there's no way you could do that and promote at the same time and um it was quite stressful as well to be honest on both of us like incredible as we just mentioned for a lot of the reasons and some others it was incredibly stressful and you know i was like you know what let's just call it a day it was like you said we had two good years pretty much good feedback across the board um leave people wanting more and go out on a higher type thing before it crushes us and you know <laughs> and you want to you want to make a success of your career so go do that so paddy did and gene money went off and he's huge and he's you know work in progress he just did the progress show that was on the network wwe network on sunday um that you know charles crowley was doing commentating on as well so you know both doing big things now and um and i was like okay like with everything in wrestling related in my life I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing shows again. It almost broke me. Um, but as you know, you just you have to scratch that itch. And you know, when you, there's so many people kind of give you good feedback and say, oh, you know, why don't you do another show? Why don't you do another show? Why don't you do another show? So I was like, oh, okay. You know what? Let's do it. Let's let's do some more shows. You know, the idea was, and still is, to be honest, not to run as many shows as we did with Clash, and not to do it. Um, we we did bi monthly. Um, I think I'd probably maybe not even do as many as that, but, you know, still to run some shows to start my own promotion again, this time on my own, because Paddy's off doing, you know, massive things with his wrestling career. And, um, that's how, um, Ignite Wrestling Pro was born. And, um, and that will be in Bournemouth, the same as Clash was. And the idea was that we were going to have our debut show last May <laughs> and we were building. You timed it really, really well. Yeah, didn't we? We timed it perfectly. Um, what's mental to think actually is that um, the 16th of February last year was the last clash and we had 190 people in there for that show and it's just it's it's insane it's insane to think that you know 
about a month short of being in a national lockdown and the world going in just absolutely crazy, I was running a show uh, with 190 people in a hall. It's just this, I mean, and, and one of my last shows I did, the second to last show I did last year was the was WrestleMania, was the UBW show. And I had like 300 people in the hall. <laughs> that was like March the 7th. So it's just crazy to think back to like a, I mean, if it, to think back to a year ago, it feels like 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It, In fact, it doesn't even feel like time anymore. It doesn't even feel like years or days or months. It feels like a different universe that didn't exist, an alternate universe that you can't really quite imagine anymore that in your mind tricks you like maybe did exist but maybe didn't you know it's like a hazy dream that you remember bits of it of and i think it's hit us as performers very hard because we thrive on being able to create and present we absolutely live for it and as i mentioned to um uh crowley about this that for a lot of people wrestling is their mental health um medication because one reason or another, whether it's as an escape, whether it's a, as a creative outlet, wrestling is their happy place. And when that's taken away, that's not healthy. And I know a lot of people have really struggled since that. And most people have come through okay, but a lot of people are getting to that point now where if they don't get something back soon, it's it's worrying. It really is worrying. Yeah, it's been tough on, on so many people for so many different reasons. And um, like you said, thankfully now, I, I think the light is at the end of the tunnel. But yeah. to think that it's been almost a year since 90% of people have done shows. I know there's been the odd show here or there over the last year, some no-fan shows and scattered yeah. around. But the, the majority of people have worked no shows at all or maybe one or two maximum. And it, yeah. I remember when... Um, and the lockdown was announced and there was, you know, we, people were talking in all the group chats and on Facebook and, oh my God, we're going to have to go five weeks without a show or six weeks without a show. You know, I even, people, people just couldn't comprehend the fact that we might have to go a month or two months without a show. No one in a million years, no one in a million years thought we'd be looking at 12 months with no shows, no wrestling, no one in the ring. It just, you know, I, I was still talking to my venue in March which so yeah. ignite's first show was booked for may the 17th and they were like no 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 don't cancel the booking yet don't cancel the booking yet hold on because you know let's just see how things go in the lockdown and when restrictions are going to be eased and, and you're thinking about it now how crazy that is right <laughs> like, we couldn't have seen this coming and it like it's it hit us so hard because none of us because uh, there's not many people still alive from the from the wartime really and you know, most people that are close to that time were, were only kids when the war was ending. But we've never had to have anything like that in our lifetime. We, we've never had, nobody that's around walking the earth today, barring a few people, have been through something like this. And even then, and I'm not underplaying what the, the Second World War was, but you could still leave your house. You weren't afraid of the air. We've got to that point now where the air is a, is a risk to us. The air that we breathe is a risk to us. That's no crazy. One, we've we've never no one alive that. now has it never lived for anything like this. Like pan, you know, the last big big pandemic like this was nineteen eighteen. No, no one, no one is alive now who had to live through that, and all remembers living through that certainly. Um, and so it's just it's been an experience, and there's not many things in life where you experience something and you've never experienced it before, or even anything close to it. 
So it messes with your head in a way that nothing else has. And to have to give up everything, you know, people have had to, for me, obviously stepping away from wrestling was difficult, but I'll be honest with you, I've done it a few times. So I've adapted, I feel like I've adapted fairly well, especially knowing it is going to come back at some point. And, you know, I've, I've had two stints away from wrestling before and I've kind of learnt ways of managing with that. Um, but what I've really, really struggled with is the gym. And I know other people have as well. Having to, nine months out of the last year, the gyms have been closed. You know, it's like, it's, and it's small, and it's the small things that people take for granted in their life that they, that they've lost over the last year that now they've chipped away at them. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. And, and I've spoken to so many people that they've had uh, a meltdown or a breakdown at some point. I'm one of them. And, I think the only good thing to come out of this is that when this is, uh, say, over, when we go back to some level of what we knew as normality, I think it's going to have strengthened a lot of people through suffering, which is, you know, it's not nice to have to suffer to be stronger, but like I was saying earlier, sometimes yeah. it strengthens you going through the bad times. And I think a lot of people are going to come out of this with a different appreciation for things and hopefully stronger. It's 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 hard, but... I think we've been very lucky that we've got this has happened in a time where you can have communication with anybody around the world within seconds. So people have had others to go to. Um, I've been able to do my counseling sessions online. So, you know, everyone's had the chance to have that little bit of help or that lifeline. And I think that's the only good thing that's going to come out of it that we kind of managed to maintain some level of sanity because um, of that. It shows you what you really want in life and what you really love in life. You've got, you've got to lose something. I think before you realize how much you want it or or love it, you know, you take things for granted. And I think a lot of people did take wrestling for granted and the people and the people that they, they see every weekend and travel around with every weekend. And, you know, sometimes just the conversations you have backstage and just the camaraderie and stuff like that. And I think, I think people will come back to wrestling with a whole new mindset with it. Hopefully, you know, yeah, I think so. I think there's been enough stuff that's gone on in different levels for the past year that every backstage locker room and every environment is going to be so different now because one, because of appreciation, and two, because people just want to be yeah. people want to be better yeah. people and they want to have better environments around them, especially in wrestling. So I'm I'm very hopeful for that of what it's going to be as, as the next evolution of it. I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah, me too. Like you said, there's been a lot of stuff that's come out over the last year, come out of the woodwork, and things have since you know I talk, I spoke about the my days at LDN 10 years ago um, and things weren't great then and they have slowly got better over the years but the last year a lot of other stuff has been weeded out I think and so I think we are genuinely coming back into a much better environment when things start up again so yeah right so we're going to get towards the end of this we're going to wrap this up it's been fantastic just and this is what I, I really wanted the podcast to be just just you know just chatting and just going through stuff organically and it's been really good to to go over the other stuff and get to kind of the person behind the character, which is what I want to do with these. And I want this to be an option for other people out there to hear the CJ story and know more than, than who CJ is just as a character in the ring, just as the guy in face paint, the guy actually behind it all. So with that, let's get on to the personal stuff. Just what size underpants? No, <laughs> what... Extra large. Yeah. <laughs> you like a lot of room, eh? Um, so, um, in terms of wrestling, uh, you much like me, you've got a wide variety of, of taste in wrestling. You really appreciate some of the older stuff with the 
the real kind of olden school days, the territory work rates. Mm. You love Japan as well. Yeah. You're quite versatile in what you like. Yeah. Given that, and given the fact that you're no spring chicken anymore. <laughs> well, Thanks. What, you're welcome. What would you list as your favorite match of all time that you've watched? And what would you say is the favorite match that you've been a part of? Okay, favorite match that I've watched, that, that hands down, there's not, there's not even, it's not even close, is Ric Flair and uh, Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24. Um, just like Ric Flair's my favorite wrestler of all time. Like, just absolute, the absolute god of wrestling. And, and in a the very, very, very close second, like 1B to the 1A is Shawn Michaels. And that's how it's always been for me growing up. And so, um, and, you know, to, to see that match, to see my, how often is it that you get to see your two favorite wrestlers from two different eras come together and have a match on the biggest stage in the world and then tell such a beautiful story as well? It wasn't just a wrestling match, the story that went into it as well. I just, I don't know. There was, there's been very few matches over the years that have given me that, those kind of like emotions watching it, you know? Um, like you said, I do also like watching a New Japan match or an NXT match where it's much more just about, oh, cool move, cool move, cool move, cool move. But, you know, that match was about the emotions and the story that went into it and the characters. And, and no other matches have made me feel like that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And favourite match you've been a part of? Favourite match I've been a part of. It's, it's got to be, I know, I'm not just saying this because you were on the other end of the, on, oh, well, not the phone. I was going to say, that's how old I am on the other end of the phone. On the other end of the screen, um, it's, it's me and Crowley at, um, at um, Flores Lava too. It's um, yeah. in what was that? Was that last? Was that last January? Was it January? Was it last January? Last February? Was it last? The four hour match where I came out in the casket. He's the champion. You can't beat me. Um, you know, I hadn't worn face paint for probably six, seven, eight months by that point, and then I brought back the face paint, brought back the old TJ character. And the crap, like you just, like we spoke about it earlier at, at length and it's just like the, the story that you built, a bit like, you know, look, I'm not comparing myself, Christ, I'm not comparing myself to Rick Flair or Shawn Michaels in any way or that match. But, you know, the reasons I enjoyed the, both those matches are, are the same, is the emotions that they give you, the story that was told and how you got there, you know? And, and, they, and for those reasons, the feelings you get out of those, the emotions you get out of those, you just, you just don't get from anything else. They actually cared who won or lost. They cared who came out of it with pride and not. They cared about everything that was going on in that match. And I, I it's, you always say, you know, you can feel emotion in a room, but that was more than just feeling it. Like it was like a groundswell mm-hmm. towards the end. It was, it was almost like being part of an earthquake, the, 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 the actual feelings coming off the people. It was, it was insane. It was. We were so obsessed with that. I tell you, me and Crowley, like, you, you know what he's like. We're, and we're both quite perfectionists when it comes to our matches and we're never really happy with them. <laughs> uh, but we, we knew that match was coming because, like you said, we built it for a good while. And for so long, we just kept saying to each other, this has to live up to the hype. This, we have, <laughs> like, this has to be perfect, man. This has to be perfect. And, um, and for once, we actually came out of that match and having built up so much in our minds, we came out of it and we were still happy with it. And we st- and it, it couldn't have gone any better, I don't think. So I just love that match. I love it. That's fair. That's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm glad because there was so much put into it. And, you know, win, lose or draw, it was going to come out good. But I think you made yourselves both so proud that you went out there and you created something of that level um, that will stand the test of time. Undoubtedly, it will. And it was, it was a masterpiece. Oh, thanks, man. So beyond that, 
this is this is breaking out of the wrestling for a second. So you're old enough to remember this as well, so I can actually use this oh, reference. God. Desert Island Discs, the whole idea. So the idea, you know, you're getting stuck on a desert island. You can take with you the entirety of one TV show or movie. You can take one album and you can take one item. And it can't be a living thing, <laughs> but I because everyone can pick in their pets. <laughs> so what, what, would, what would be your three? Okay, I hate pets and animals, so um, I, you don't have to worry about that. I wouldn't be taking a pet. Animal, that's fine. <laughs> One TV show, the entirety of a TV show. I take, I take Friends. I take every series of Friends just because I've watched them. I've watched them a thousand times, but I could watch them a thousand times more. So, like, if I was stuck on that desert island for the rest of my life, at least I know I can just watch it every single day. Um, one, you've got ten seasons of it, and two, like it's one of those things you can even have it on in the background and not be paying attention to yeah. it, and just flitting and out of it. And it's just, it's just good background stuff at the very least. There you go. So you know, obviously, I'll be busy, you know, collecting coconuts or something. So you have to have it on the background while you know I'm making a little like den out of twigs or something. Um, well, You're definitely Rachel, though. Oh. oh yeah. <laughs> <Mate>. <laughs> conflicting isn't it yeah. oh I look at you very differently now uh and uh okay and then um album album and i can this is the only album i can listen to yeah oh my god this is a tough one because yeah oh i don't know what i think it'd have to be lincoln park hybrid theory oh good choice i just don't think there's a better i don't think there's a better all-round album than that like i I like a different, I like rap, I like a little bit of metal, I like grime, hip-hop stuff, but but that album's just, oh, it's just perfect. It's like, you know how Nevermind was the the defining album of the grunge period? Hybrid Theory yeah. was the genre-defining album of the new metal period, and that entire time, so everything from, like, yeah. say, yeah. 97 through about 2002, that was kind of... That was the most defining one because that was the one that everyone sat there and went, "Oh, okay, this is what it is." When because you know, Limp Bizkit they had good, they also had a lot of bad. Papa Roach they had good, uh, bad as well. But Hybrid Theory was just like, "Okay, you want the perfect storm? Here it is, fantastic." Album. It's it. Perfect. It's the perfect album. Like I like um, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water as well from from Link uh, from Limp Bizkit from it's pretty much from the same era as well. Like you said, that new metal era. Like I was a big fan of all that kind of music in 2000, 2001. And, um, and, and that Papa, I can't remember the name of it, that Papa Roach album was mm. that came out then was all right. But Hybrid Fury and even Meteora that came after yeah. Hybrid Fury was good. But, no, but yeah, can't be Hybrid. Okay. And your Desert Island item, what are you picking? Uh, it'd, have to be my, it'd have to be my mobile phone, I think. Am I allowed to take that? Because I have a serious addiction problem with my mobile phone. I get literally, I get like panic attacks if I don't. So you're picking that? Over your one, two, three kid Hasbro that I know you recently purchased. <laughs> yeah. Little, little uh, story for the listeners. A lot of people during the lockdown, you know, they've been saving money. They've been putting it away for a rainy day, maybe getting a new kitchen, maybe getting a new car. <laughs> oh, I mentioned the CJ. So what are you doing with your uh, money you've been making? Well, I've got all the Hasbros that were missing from my collection. Let you into a little secret. CJ Carr also collects wrestling figures. There you go. <laughs> I have every single Hasbro wrestling figure. You make me sick. I was so proud of myself that I've got most, apart from the green series. And I was like, oh, I've got so many now. And you're like, oh, yeah, I've got all them and all the rare ones. I just, I, 
I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help. I'm sorry, man. I could, and to be fair, I didn't buy the one, two, three kid. My dad bought it for me for a birthday present, actually. So I'm just gonna put my hands up there. That's the only one I've got carded though. The other one. Have you got heel crush? So I have got heel. Yeah, I've got heel crush. I'm looking at them now. They're on my front. They're on my. <laughs> they're they're on my front row. Of, I've got like they're all rolled up. You know how it is. And so I've got top shelf front row. I've got smoking guns, Adam bomb. Black and Silver, Shawn Michaels, Ludwig Borger, and Hill Crush. Uh, you know what? Forget it. Forget what I said earlier. We're, we're canning all the original storylines. You've got nothing coming forward. You do, you, <laughs> your, your pre-show and your, your, your pre-show as a ref, that's it. What if I give you the one, two, three kid? Then what do I get? You give me Hill Crush and we'll talk, we'll talk business. <laughs> Look, this has been an amazing chat. I've really enjoyed this. It's been, uh, it's been organic. It's been great going back over how, your past and, and your story and how I thought we met and how we actually met. Um, <laughs> it's been great. But you know what? The, the, here's, the, here's the point, which I do with everybody else, is this is the time to turn it around. So I've enjoyed writing and booking UBW for the past five, six years immensely. It's been so stressful, but I've enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed telling a lot of different stories. Absolutely nothing comes close to the you and Crowley story, but the evolution of what we've done with you, because you went through this whole story of oh, CJ's lost his faith in himself and he's got the half and half face paint and he's delving in and out of different divisions and he's, he's got this past history with Xander and all these things. But you've had a full-fledged story from, from the very first moment you come in and it's been a pleasure to work that in because with you, I've never had to worry about the in-ring part. I've only had to think about the storylines. I try not to micromanage people, but obviously some people I do. I've never once had to micromanage you or give you direction or or pick up on anything because I just know, you know what? All he needs is a ring, a time limit, and he's he's golden. And it has been an absolute joy booking for you, working with you, and putting you on our shows. And I think you have helped raise the UBW product up immensely is there's a few people that have been a big factor in that and you're undoubtedly one of them because you've been the most consistent deliverer over the past few years uh by far and you are the most criminally underutilized talent on the uk scene i mean if that wasn't true we wouldn't be talking about you every episode of this bloody podcast (laughs) you Um, should be everywhere you should be on every company you should be a featured act for everyone um it's it's i'm i'm proud that i've got you under the ubw banner but i'm also angry that other people haven't haven't got you there as well and it's just you know like i say if i had to finish promoting tomorrow i could look back and say you know what the cj carter catalog is our calling point if vince came calling tomorrow and said hey kid that's (laughs) triple h but either way one of them you know oh yeah why should we work with you? Why should we put you on a network? And like, you know, first, my first answer would be, well, you know, we have fruit shoots. But my second answer would be this guy. Look at this guy. Oh, man. You're making me emotional listening to that. Seriously. <laughs> like, that's that's fine. Much. I'll take payment in Hasbro figures. It's fine. <laughs> you know, you're not having my Hasbro figures, man. God damn it. No, but seriously, mate. I mean, on a personal level, it very few people have come along and said, oh, give us a job. And... Like straight away, I've gone. Yeah, absolutely. This guy is going to be part of the family, and yeah, you know, I mean, is it, even like 
and I mean, there's one point where I remember you, you've learned firsthand how bad my memory is. And there was one or two times when I I screwed up bookings and I was like, mate, I can't actually fit you on this show. And you were like, oh, man, I've, I've planned for this. And, and you were quite disappointed in it, understandably. But, like, even beyond all that, you still had that professionalism and that right kind of attitude in yourself that we've worked around it, we've worked our way through it. And I'd never at any point have gone, oh, I can't work with this guy. I don't want to work with this guy. Like, whatever mountains has to be moved to make it work for you, we do. Because honestly, you're that good. But then enough of that. There's enough smoke up your ass. It's coming out your nostrils. You, um, no, no, no. I, I, I felt the same, honestly, I felt the same. And like you, like UBW is my family, man. And, um, you guys gave me, and you especially, you gave me a chance when I first came back as CJ Carter, when not most people were, you took a punt on me, you took the risk, you took the gamble. And, um, and I'll always forever be thankful for that. And I've always felt like part of the family. And and I've I've never had better storylines than than when I've been with you guys. So well, I've always said that you, you can judge um a performer by what his peers say about him. Nobody has a bad word to say about you. So uh, I don't know why that should give you an idea. No, it's been it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to obviously getting things restarted and getting UBW back up and running. But I'm looking forward to it restarting so we can get Ignite relit and uh, yep. we can get that going. And, you know, we've, we've got a lot of potential to to make that big. Uh, I say we, I'm not involved in it, but, you know, we as the large. Yeah, there'll be a lot of cross-promotion stuff going on. There's like, you know, I want to, when we finally get that going, there is so many UBW, UBW guys we want to get on, on Ignite. So, yeah, working together on that as well will be great once we can finally do that. It'll be good because once we're back up in full swing and we're back to full stress, we can go and sit and cry in a corner together and just hug each other. Yep. Yep. It'll be good. <laughs> Mate, thank you for this. It's been a wonderful chat. It's been really enjoyable. I hope you've had fun. Yeah, it's been great, man. It's been good. I'll get this uh, get this up in a in a little while and get this up at the weekend. Any last bits you want to say? Uh, no, man. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone who uh, listens. And hopefully once shows get going again, just uh, check out my stuff, check out UBW, and check out Ignite Wrestling Pro once uh, we finally get that going. I'll put the links in the show notes as well so you can go and follow Ignite. You can follow CJ and pester him. And, you know, yeah. But, yeah, by all means, pester him to give me his Hasbros. I think it's only fair for what I've done for him. <laughs> but, uh, no, thanks, bro. I'll, I'll finish up now. And, uh, yeah, let's hope we get back to normal soon. Cool, man. Love you. And on that bombshell of a Desert Island Discs choice, I've got a very, very special outro for CJ. One that I think really kind of sums up and personifies his evilness, really kind of puts into perspective just how sick and twisted and evil and dark CJ Carter is as a character. Buddy, enjoy. Enjoy.